God, we've come to the place in this service where we open the book of life and we read from its pages. And that word is quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I ask you, God, to touch this unworthy person and help me, O oh God, today to remember the things that you and I have discussed in private that I may make them public. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen and amen. We all are concerned about the prophetic things that are going on around us. And can I tell you that prophecy has been expedited so and has been speeded up and accelerated so in these last days that we're living in. You can almost take the newspaper and your Bible and read the two simultaneously because what was said through his prophets has come true in our times. We have seen more prophecy fulfilled in our lifetime than any other time in history. In fact, since 1948, when Israel became a nation, from that time up until now, there has been so much acceleration in prophet and prophetic events. And the Bible says that in the last days will be perilous times. That means dangerous times. And unfortunately, we're living in that kind of world right now where there is uh, danger all over the continent of North America and uh, all and other parts of the world. I've told you before about so many wars that are going on. 120 wars are going on on this planet right now. And the Bible said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, know ye that the end is near. So the things that we're seeing and the things that we're hearing uh, give us uh, alarm and give us uh, attention because we know these things must be. But the Bible says, lift your head and rejoice for your redemption draweth nigh. So the church's response to all that's going on in the world should be lift your head and rejoice. Great is your God. Great is His Word. Great is His power. Great is His presence. You have so many incentives and motivations to rejoice in the Lord always. That's one of those one-sentence sermons, one of those one-sentence, three-word verses, rejoice in the Lord always. Five words, right? Those words were spoken among those little short quotes, quench not the Spirit, in that same one. And in that same grouping, you find that sentence sermon, rejoice in the Lord always. How many, how many rejoicings is always? What time of day is always? What day on the calendar is always? What year that we're living in is always? That means what David said, at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth at all times. When I lay my head to rest, when I awake, I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's a choice. Rejoice is a choice. We can't hang our head in despair instead of lift our head and rejoice. 
we can shake our head with disgust instead of looking into the eyes of the Father and knowing that all things work according to his will. This day did not slip up on the Lord. He knows all about this day. He knows about next week and he knows about next month. He knows all of our future. In fact, the Bible said he inhabits eternity. He is in time past. He is in time future. He's present with us now because he inhabits all of eternity. There will never be a time when he will cease to be God. There will never be a time when he will withdraw his power and his presence from his people. He is a God of covenant and he's a God that keeps his promise and keeps his word. I'm going to preach from Zechariah today. Zechariah is what we call a minor prophet. But that minor prophet gave more messianic prophecy than any other minor prophet. In fact, he's been called the Isaiah of the minor prophets because Isaiah had more messianic. Do you know what I mean when I say messianic? I'm talking about promises of Jesus coming, promises of the Messiah, the anointed one. All of prophecy since Genesis 3.15 has converged in the night an angel appeared and said, there is born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In fact, Zechariah is only one prophet away from the last one of the Old Testament. Zechariah, if you look at his whole book, you'll find it's a, a book of encouragement. In fact, that whole book could be described in one word. It's about encouraging people who are discouraged. Now, don't you like to have preachers who encourage people who are discouraged? Don't you like to be around other people who are encouragers? Don't you like to meet somebody on the street and they give you an encouraging word? I like that little verse in the, in the home on the range where never is heard a discouraging word. I don't know where that ranch or that prairie is, but I don't think there is a place on earth where you can't find a discouraging word. But I want to tell you, discouragers are many, but encouragers are few. God give us more people who have the gift of encouragement. The gift of caring and hospitality. Oh, here's a good one, isn't it? Helps. Helps. Well, now, helping is a secondary role, isn't it? It means you're not the one that's in the limelight, and you're not the one that's getting the credit, and you're not the one whose name is widely known. A, a helper is someone that realizes someone else has a need. And I can help in that need. Many ways I can do it. Travis is sitting over there. This week, Brian had to move some furniture up a stairs. And uh, much to Travis's regret, he called him and said, I need some help. My old daddy can't carry this stuff up these steps. I need some help. A helper, a helper. Do you know that's what a, a wife is supposed to be in a marriage? A helper, a helper. I wonder how many times we get that role reversed. 
How many times do we misread that? A helper. Zechariah was a helper, and he helped with words of encouragement. In fact, that great verse that we know so well, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We know that one. Do you know Zechariah did that one? That encouraged. And you know who he was talking to? He was talking to Zerubbabel. Zuzu who? Zerubbabel. He was a man that was not of Israel, wasn't of Jewish. In fact, the Lord called him and used him to help God's people. It was about the time of the restoration of the temple and the temple was going to be built back and Nehemiah and, hey, get this. You know who Zachariah's best friend was? Here you go, Haggai. Now, how would you like to have your best friend named Haggai? Wow. Well, Haggai was quite a friend too, but he wasn't the encourager that Zechariah was. Well, you can read in Zechariah all, all that encouragement. You don't read that so much in Haggai because he's kind of straightened people out. But Zechariah is trying to encourage people, trying to tell people, hey, there's something good about to happen. God is going to do something. And he says to Zerubbabel, I, I know that the, the challenge is great, and I know that the task is enormous, but God it will keep his hand upon you. Amen? And he told Zerubbabel, Zechariah, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Those were words of encouragement that were given to Zerubbabel to assist in rebuilding the temple. Wow. So Zechariah is this prophetic voice in the Old Testament, a messianic voice, the Isaiah of the minor prophets, and he is an encourager. Why is Zechariah so important? The book of Zechariah contains the clearest and the largest number of messianic passages than any other except Isaiah. In other words, he, ble he believed in Jesus. He preached Jesus more than anything else. Well, if you're going to help me, help me in Jesus. If you're going to be a blessing to me, bless me with Jesus. If you're going to lift me out of despair and despondency, tell me about Jesus. If you're going to ease my hurt and ease my pain and lift my sorrowful spirit, why, how are you going to do it? I'm going to do it through Jesus. I'm going to point you to Jesus because everybody else will fail you in some way. But Jesus never fails. Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never disappoint you. Praise God. So don't be pointing at other individuals. Point to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is sat down at the right hand of God. What's he doing there, Brother Jerry? I told you just the other day, he's praying for you. Don't you remember 
Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Glory to God. I have prayed for you. And he is right there as the intercessor, the mediator, the advocate today, advocating for you, mediating for you, speaking up for you. What a privilege it is to have our Lord Jesus in the presence of our Heavenly Father interceding for us. How could you not rejoice about that? How could you not be happy about that? That Jesus is on your side. I said Jesus is on your side. He's for you, not against you. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to discourage anybody. He came to encourage and let you know that a great light has shined, shined out of the darkness. And the Bible said, They that have been lost in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus came to turn the light on, folks. Jesus came to dispel the darkness. Jesus came to give freedom and deliverance from the bondage. What a privilege we have today to worship him. You see, when that angel stepped out and broke that 400 years of silence, he was directly in line with Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah 9 and 11, the Bible says that he, he was a savior. He's a, he's a, a judge and he is our, our elder brother, and he is our heir and joint heir with us. Zechariah 9.11, As for thee also, by the blood of the covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. Turn ye to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. Now where is Thank you God. Where is that saint of God? Where is he? He's in the pit where there is no water. He's in a place where there's no cleansing. He's in a place where there's no refreshment. He's in a, a, a place where there is no quenching of thirst. He's actually in a miserable place, isn't he? I want to tell you, the pit is a bad place to be. When you're despondent and you're hopeless and you have no reason to go on, did you know that right now with all that's going on in our world, the suicide rate is enormous right now to what it used to be. There are more people now, Sam, that are giving up than ever before. There are more people now saying it's no use than ever before. There are more folks that are saying you can't find any relief now more than ever before. But I'm here to tell you. There is a Savior. There is a Prince of Peace. There is an advocate. There is a sacrifice. And he will lead you. The Bible said he will 
bring you that prisoner out of the pit. Turn ye to the stronghold. All of you prisoners that are in the pit, turn ye to the stronghold. Where is the stronghold? Well, you ought to know where it is. It's standing on the promises of God. It's hiding the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against God. It's tasting and seeing that God is good. It's crying out to God for deliverance and hearing him answer positive and say, I will deliver thee. That's what that stronghold is. You could make the case for it in Jerusalem. It's at temple. Well, the Bible said the name of the Lord is a high tower and the righteous run into it and are saved. Did you say saved? Saved. What are you talking about? What was Zechariah talking about? He was talking about there's hope. You don't have to stay in the pit. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to be disgusted, frustrated. You don't have to be that way. He said God can turn you prisoners out of that pit that you're in. That's interesting. It's also interesting that he's talking to people about being saved as well. He's talking to lost people about saying, there's an action that you can take that will turn this all around. This invitation to the stronghold speaks the language of the gospel. What's the language of the gospel? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear the gospel call. Come to Jesus, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Come to Jesus and find food that you can feed your spiritual hunger. Come to Jesus and you'll find a fountain of water that will never run dry. Come to Jesus and he'll supply every desire, every need that you have. Wow, what a stronghold that we can run into as the people of God, as sinner people who are prisoners of hope. Their case is sad, but Christ is a stronghold for them. There's a strong tower in whom the, the law and its assaults on their spiritual enemies, to him they must turn by a lively faith. To him, lost people have to flee to Jesus. In Jesus' name, they've got to put their trust in the activity of the saving grace of Jesus while it was, we call it the redemptive provision. What he did in his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all of that is the redemptive provision. And all of that ought to make every sinner rejoice because that invitation is to him. Call on me. Call on me. Call on me, and I will deliver you, and thou shalt glorify me. Call on me. In that day that you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me, God says. So there's future, there's hope, there's something out there. For sinner people, it's all about accepting Jesus. That's the number one thing that lost people need to do. Come to Jesus. Don't come with your wagon load 
of promises. That's not the way you come to Him. Lord, I, I can be a blessing to you. Let's make a deal. The only thing you've got to stand on is what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. Nothing about good deeds, nothing about meritorious gifts, nothing about earning, nothing about working, nothing about any of that. Just come as a sinner, come as a lost person, come to Jesus who is the Savior, plead the blood of the Lord Jesus to be applied to your heart, and that's the first activity for a lost person. God doesn't make deals. If you're lost, oh, I've been to hospitals so many times, and I've prayed with people, and they were anticipating surgery, and they would tell me, oh, pastor, if God will just see me through this, if God will just let that not be cancer and be denied, benign. If, if God will just work this all out, God, I promise God I'll, I'll be at his house. I'll pay my tithe. I'll worship. I'll do whatever I can. I'll, every time those doors are open, I'll be there. Every time that bag offering goes by, I'll put mine in it. And then the doctor comes out and says, uh, oh, it was nothing. It was just a little old cyst. I don't even have to send it off. I know by looking at them, there wasn't nothing to that. You're, you're fine. You're going to be all right. And then next Sunday rolls around. And all of that bargaining and all of your poker chips that all went out the window when the doctor said, you're all right. Well, if I'm all right, then I don't have to listen to me when God, God's Word says this, when thou vowest a vow, defer not to pay that vow, for it had been better for you that you had never opened your mouth than to have vowed a vow and not kept it. God is very serious about vows that we make. And that scripture in Psalm 50 and 14 says this, Offer thanks unto God. Rejoice in God. Be a praiser. Be a worshiper. Be a hand lifter. Be loud with your praise. Praise your name, Jesus. Offer thanks unto God. Listen, and pay your vows unto the Most High. And then, not before, then call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying God don't get the cart before the horse. Uh, let's get you saved first, and then we'll talk about all these other things secondary because more than anything else, what you need right now is saving. Does that make any sense to you? Saving. And I want to tell you, once you, you get saved, you'll be so 
happy and rejoicing. Do you remember how that first love experience was with you and God? Couldn't wait to get home to tell somebody. I was at a revival meeting several years ago, and there was a, a young man came to that revival. I even still remember his name. He came to the altar that night. I'll never forget it at Indian Springs. I don't think it's even called Indian Springs anymore. It's a different title now. But I was preaching there in that revival, and he, he was a student over at University of South Alabama. Came down the aisle, knelt in the altar there, and God did some glorious things for him. God delivered him from some addiction. God saved him by his grace, washed him in his blood, made him a new creature in Christ Jesus. Thought he was saved all along, but he wasn't. Did what he needed to do to get saved, and he did it. And he went to school the next day, Randy. And of all classes that he had, he had a speech class. And guess whose turn it was to give a speech? It was Trippy's. And when Trippy came around and gave his speech, he had it before him, and he, he just reached over and closed it and said, I've got to tell you what happened to me last night. I went out to 8 Mile and said there's a preacher out there named Brother Jerry and said he told me how I could be saved and how I could know that I'm saved. And I went down to that altar and the Lord gave me such a joy and such a rejoicing in my spirit. I've never overflowed like that with my emotions ever before but I feel something that I've never felt. I have an optimism, and I've got a peace like I've never had before. And if you'll go with me out there tonight, I promise you, he'll do for you what he did for me. The instructor stopped him and said, that's enough. And needless to say, he got an F. But something else he got was the satisfaction of knowing that four young people came with him the next night to that meeting and received the Lord Jesus as Savior in their life. Oh, it'll be a great day when God's people understand that your testimony, a rejoicing testimony, can lead people to the Lord Jesus. I'm persuaded that the people that are saved between now and the rapture of the church are going to be saved one-on-one -on -one and one to another, one heart to one heart, one soul to another soul. I believe that's the way it has to happen. And in order for that to happen, you've got to be a rejoicing person. No matter what's going around you, you've got to be a rejoicing person. For saved people, rejoicing in the Lord is a refreshing thing. I must tell you, that the greatest of Christians deals with depression. Some of the greatest names in all of Christianity, writers of volumes of books, have at times in their life battled with depression. Missionaries, great missionaries like Dr. Livingston battled with depression.
great men like Ingram, who founded the India-China mission, battled with depression. One of my heroes. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I love Spurgeon's preaching. Listen to what he wrote. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my ministry. What he's saying is right before God is about to do something great in my ministry, I have this feeling of depression. It comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing. The cloud is black before it breaks and overshadows before it yields its deluge of mercy. Depression has now become to me as a prophet in rough clothing, a John the Baptist heralding the nearer coming of my Lord's richer venison. So how far better men found it. The scouring of a vessel has fitted it for the master's use. Immersion in suffering has preceded the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Fasting gives an appetite for the benefit or the banquet. The Lord is revealed in the backslide of the desert while his servant keepeth the sheep and waits in solitary awe. The wilderness is the way to Canaan. The low valley leads to the highest mountain. Defeat prepares us for victory. The raven is sent before the dove comes to lodge. The darkest hour of the night precedes the day of the dawning. The mariners go down into the depths of the sea and then rise on the billows of the waves and mount to the heaven. Their soul is melted because of trouble before he bringeth them to their desired haven. Did you know that Spurgeon preached in his lifetime to 10 million people? No, he wasn't on television. No, there wasn't an internet. No, there wasn't electrical means or wireless. There was none of that. He was in a, a church in London, England called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Yeah. And he preached to 10 million people. And he said the one most depressing thing in his life was when the crowd became so large that it couldn't house the people. They went over to a hall that was owned by the, by the government and they pressed in their sore that some demented person hollered fire and they stampeded and ran, and six people were killed. And Spurgeon carried that to his death, that they came to hear the gospel, but they were trampled under the feet of others. Wow. That a man who has done all of that for God wrestled with depression, Spurgeon took great solace in Scripture because in the Psalms he loved so much. The Psalms, he wrote the great set of books called the Treasury of David. You've probably got that. How does a man who writes about such greatness of God wrestle with some of these feelings of anxiety and threat and worry? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that the Apostle Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. And yet he was heard to say this, 
When I would do good, evil is present with me. Always when I'm about the business of healing or encouraging or reaching people for God, I have to fight this battle with depression. I have to fight this anxiety, this worry, this fretfulness, all the while believing God and walking in all the light He'll give me to walk in. I want to tell you this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. They that do great things from, for God can expect great opposition. I preached to you many years ago, the only thing about growing to the next level is you got to fight a bigger devil. Because the greater influence you are for God, the more intense is his opposition. Spurgeon realized that. Paul realized that. In all of his times, he said, Thrice they beat my back with rods. Five times I received 40 stripes, save one. I've been in perils of the sea and afloat on the Mediterranean for a day and a half. I was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. I escaped over the wall at Thessalonica to keep from a mob lynching me. I've been in fastings often, naked and in peril. We find him in a dungeon in Philippi for casting a devil of fortune telling out of a little girl. And the Bible said he was placed in the inner dungeon. That means descending down into the ground where there was water and dysentery. Where he was locked in stocks, his back was beaten, and he and Silas were in the base of that dungeon. But listen to this. But at midnight, buddy, I felt the Holy Ghost. But at midnight, Paul and Silas sang praises unto the Lord. You know what they said? They said, in all this to be depressed about, we don't know what they're going to do with us. We may get killed. We, we don't know what's going to happen next. We're in a miserable condition now, but that's a great time to rejoice. That's a great time for us to lift our head and rejoice. And the Bible said, and they sang praises unto God at midnight. And the Bible said that the power of God came down in that jailhouse. What is it Elvis sings, jailhouse rock? Brother, that old building began to shake and tremble and an earthquake shook that place apart and all the prisoners were loosed and freed. And God had miraculously removed the shackles and the bars. Rejoice. Rejoice. The jailer ran in. And Brenda, he said, Oh, no, I'll lose my life. If all you guys are free, I'll be killed. He drew his sword and was so desperate, the Bible said he would have killed himself. But Paul, but Paul 
realizing there was one more soul that needed to be saved before we leave here, stopped and said, Sir, do thyself no harm. We're all here. We're all here. I wish I could say that at harvest. We're all here. We're all here. And the Bible said at that saying, the jailer fell on his face and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Whatever that you've got, I want it. Whatever causes you to sing praises to God when your back is beaten to a bloody pump, I want what you've got. I want to know God like you know God, that you can walk into a dungeon and praise his name. You can walk in before Felix and say, let me tell you how I got saved. You can come over to uh, the different king Agrippa and Hephaestus, and you can tell them, let me tell you about my testimony. Let me tell you about how God's been good to me. Let me tell you about he answers prayer for me. Let me tell you about wherever I go, he goes with me. Oh, if the church would just let the message ring out, if the church would just live these lives, a testimony of the goodness of God and the greatness of God, when I rejoice, I'm saying, God, I'm recognizing that you are the creator God. You're also the Savior. 2 Corinthians 6 and 4, Paul wrote these words. But in all things, how many things are all things? But in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watching, and in fasting. And then he turns to the good things that's happened to him. You see, sometimes the devil wants you to get stuck on the front end of that verse in the sufferings and the afflictions and all of that. Sometimes he wants you to get stuck there. But I, Paul says, but I want you to get to this. Verse 6 says, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened and not killed. Listen to this. As sorrowful, yet rejoicing always yes there are times when bad things happen to good people yes there are times when you suffer yes there are times that you are depressed and you have to fight that battle of faith yes there are times when there's honor and dishonor evil report deceivers but listen to what he says as sorrowful. You ever been sorrowful, preacher? Yes. There are people sitting right here today that's sorrowful. 
Mark lost a niece in his family yesterday. His heart is heavy. He's sorrowful. Many of you have things to be sorrowful about. If I was to ask a show of hands, I, I bet they'd raise all over this house. I know something sorrowful is going on in my life. I've had a lot of sorrow about it. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a domestic, domestic problem. Maybe it's in a business deal. Maybe whatever. We could just keep on going for a long time. But he says, in sorrowful times. In sorrowful. But listen to the rest of it. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. Well, Pastor, how in the world can I live like a poor man, but I'm making people rich? How in the world can I be as poor as Job's turkey, but I'm making people rich? I lost it all to find everything. I died a pauper to be born a king. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm poor as I can be, and I'm making people rich? I want to tell you, if you know the Lord today, you're rich. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're rich. You're a wealthy person. Joey, I'm sure you remembered it was pretty corny at times. I'm a poor, poor, rich man. I'm a poor, poor, rich man. Oh, you see, it really happened to me. I'm a millionaire. I know that I am poor, but I've got a lot more than many rich folks that I know. I've got a home in the sky. Money didn't buy. I'm a poor, rich man. You see, if you're poor in this world's goods, you may be poor in this world's goods, but in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, you're an heir to all of heaven. In the eyes of our Lord Jesus, who is an heir and a joint heir with us, you're entitled to all that is in heaven. And the Bible said, a reward is laid up in heaven for you. Reserved. Yes, I'm poor. Yes, I don't have a lot of things that rich people have. But I can tell somebody else how to be rich. The Bible said God was so great in his offering of Jesus and that he was rich. But for your sakes, he became poor. That we, through his poverty might be made rich. Glory to God. Linda, I'm looking at a rich woman back there. How about that? Phil, I'm looking at a rich man sitting on that pew right there. Some of you may say, well, brother, you ought to see my P&L. Well, I don't care what your P&L looks like. If you know Jesus... I said, if you know Jesus, P&L, profit and loss, for y'all that can't, no matter what your 
profit or your loss, says, if you know Jesus. And he said, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, but making other people rich. Let me, come on, Olivia. Don't clap. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. In this world I have nothing, not a cent to my name. <laughs> you remember that old song? I got a million of them. Wow. Have nothing. I don't have anything. And yet, possessing all things. A group of philanthropists was in one of the poorest countries on earth. There was a leprosarium there in that city. And as their coach rode by, they saw a woman who was binding up the wounds, changing the bandages on those lepers' legs and arms. And one of them stepped down from the coach and walked over to her and said, Ma'am, I wouldn't do what you do for a million dollars. And she said, looked up at him and she said, neither would I. Neither would I. But she said, but the love of Christ constraineth me. Brother, there's a richness that this world knows nothing about. There are things, spiritual things that God has reserved that this world knows nothing about. I have nothing, but I have everything. I have nothing, but I possess all things. Praise God. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I don't qualify in that. Well, then you're missing out on some spiritual revelation and blessings. You need to know God like that. Because to know God is to be touched by our Heavenly Father. To know God and to walk this walk you got to how to know how to do the juggling in the good things and the bad things because both of them happen to us in this journey we call life. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot more to rejoice about today than there is to feel bad over. Yes, there is. For I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I commit to him against that day. I've just given it all to God. I said, I've just given it all to God. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes. He cares so much that he says to you, cast all of your care on me because he careth for you.
cares for you. Stand with me, please. I want you to turn to your neighbor and look him right in the eye and say, He cares for you. Don Maddox, God cares for you. W.H. Ford, God cares for you. Michelle, God cares for you. Hallelujah. Amy, I don't have to tell you, girl. You need to tell me God cares for you. God cares for Brother Paris. God cares for you. Mark, God cares for you, buddy. God cares for you. If you carry one thing from this service today, I want you to carry this. There's not a problem. There's not a heartache. There's not a difficulty. There's not a hardship that can come against you, but what you can overcome it, you can survive it, you can go through it with the grace that Jesus gives and the energy of the Holy Spirit that's in your life. I can do. I can do. I can do all things. All things. All things. Through Christ who strengthens me. Glory to God. You go out of here living a life for God. And you go out of here going through those experiences in life rejoicing in the Lord always. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you today, O oh God, for the optimism that is in our heart and mind. Thank you, God, for a future promise and a future hope. Lord, we don't sorrow as people with no hope. We don't sorrow as people who don't have a future. God, but in Jesus' name, we know that there is a future. And we know that there is a hope. And that when you shall appear, you're going to catch away a church, a glorious church, a rejoicing church, not having spot or blemish or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blame. We love you. We praise you. We give you all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.